Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Home Education Matters, or maybe I should say bonjour and bienvenue, because today we are talking about all things French and Spanish. And I am joined by the lovely Natalia. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Bonjour. Natalia, do you want to, I'm not going to ask you this in Spanish because that would tax me beyond my capabilities, but do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, yeah, um, I'm originally from Spain. I was born in Spain, raised in Spain. Um, I and then moved to France when I was a teenager. So that that helped me really appreciate the value of languages. But then I've been uh, living in, in the UK for over 20 years now. So, yeah, I can say that my life's been uh, quite intense in all these three countries. I am a teacher. I teach modern foreign languages. I teach both Spanish and French in secondary schools. And I'm currently um, currently working part-time in a, in a grammar school for girls, while I'm also well, building a tutoring business, um, teaching French and Spanish. That must be That's... two quite different worlds you inhabit then. Absolutely. Completely different. Completely different. On one hand, the teaching is always rewarding, whether it is tutoring or in schools, because you are helping you're helping uh, children learn and develop. So that's always going to be rewarding. But then the big difference is usually that there is too much accountability in schools. From like the head teacher or something like that? In general, the system, Mm. Mm. not necessarily the head teacher. So um, that obviously has an impact on the learning and I'm not saying there hasn't got to be any accountability because that is understandable but we also know that that that's that's the main difference you don't have in private tutoring because when you have your own you know systems and and you you know you can you're going to be doing the best for the child are your lesson structures quite similar whether you're in a school or doing one-to-one tutoring yeah, absolutely. It is. When you are doing tutoring, you still need to prepare the child to pass those exams and to learn the subject. And so you're still going to be doing the same thing. It's just that you don't have some of the uh, pressures that you might might experience in a school environment. Do you do you find I've, I've spoken to quite a few tutors recently just doing these podcasts and things like this and do you find that there's more pressure not perhaps pressure is not the right word but there's more onus on retaining a kind of love of the subject when you do tutoring than perhaps in a school where it's a bit more outcome focused? Yeah that's right yeah that's um that's exactly right you have that sort of flexibility to focus on what really matters so for instance when we are teaching languages uh, eventually yes we want the child to pass a GCSE yes we want the child to do well but eventually and ultimately it is about fostering that passion for learning the language for applying what they're learning for using it when they travel for using it at work in the future so for that you also need to well to focus on the actual subject 
that's one thing I because I spoke French when I was a when I was a teenager because my family used to take me on holidays to France and I had friends who are French but my French from school didn't prepare me really for just sort of hanging out with friends in France if I wanted to ask the way to the train station I was completely sorted but if I wanted to chat with somebody in a bar I found myself completely stuck when it comes to school school languages is is there an element of of having to teach to the exam and how do you balance that with wanting your your pupils to also be able to converse naturally in a language because we are because we have all that pressure about getting the results sometimes it's hard to actually prepare students about how they're going to be using the language so and, and that's what i was saying about that's something possibly that you can do better when you do tutoring mm-hmm. um, when you do tutoring you have to get those results too but there is more freedom to uh, understand the priorities as well and also you um you are talking directly to the parents so you can actually help them and their needs and what they actually want for their child mm. so I guess that's a key difference that uh, well due to standardized tests and requirements we don't have that luxury in in schools it's a shame do you find much difference between tutoring home ed children compared to teaching in a school? Is there much? Is there sort of a difference in the focus of the subject there? There can be, but I wouldn't say that depends on on, on the case really. There can be in terms of um, home educated children. Uh, there, this in my experience, I see there is a more in they have more independence in terms of finding resources understanding understanding what what it is that they need to be doing uh so i guess sometimes they just need that final that guidance to get them there it's like they need less support uh, it's it's almost like slightly less hand holding i suppose because a lot of home educated children are responsible for their own learning to to at least to more of a capacity than perhaps you are at school where you just go where you're told and learn what you're told so let's think about how to actually approach french and spanish if you're home educated and the first thing that we encounter as a home educating parent which is different to a parent of a school child is we have to think about what exam board they're going to sit obviously when your child is in school they just sit whatever the teacher tells them to sit but we have lots of choices between the different exam boards that we can sit and i'm guessing the same goes for french and spanish do you have a choice of exam board if you wanted to sit that at gcse well, I normally just work with AQA and Edexcel. Mm-hmm. Those are the two ones I, I, I work with. Those are the two ones I know well, so I wouldn't want to advise, not that the other ones are not good, but I wouldn't want to advise for them to um, choose another one that I wouldn't be that comfort, that, that I guess, comfortable with. So, yes. I guess it's only Cambridge that's the other one available, is it? Um, that's not that's not I'm not in my particular case I'm not experienced uh, experienced teaching um, that exam board so I would always give them the choice of AQA and Edexcel and these two exam boards are not really different not very different from each other so uh, when you look at the actual exam requirements they are very very similar both of them so even in terms of preparing students Maybe if we do it like like group tutoring, for example, and we were preparing and some of them had AQA and some of them had Excel, 
it wouldn't even be something that mm-hmm. we could work with because yeah. the and and this is something that you see very often when I see parents talking about preparing their kids for a specific exam board that actually the differences are not that much that you cannot really have them in the same group. Yeah, I mean, some subjects are completely different. Some subjects, there's such a big difference between the exam boards that you could never possibly teach two children if they were sitting uh, different exam boards. But I'm guessing for some things like maths is another really good example of this, where there's so little difference between the exam boards that it really is just a case of choosing the one that's most convenient for you, perhaps, or or that your local exam centre offers. Exactly right. They are so similar that in my experience, I've worked with both and I've never really seen any significant difference that would make me choose one over the other. I'm guessing they both also have fairly good resources available, textbooks, YouTube videos, that kind of thing. That's right. That's exactly right. So that's why you, when you go to their, their websites, in terms of resources, they, they their offer is very similar as well. So for both of these exams that you mentioned, AQA and Edexcel, they're both the, just the standard GCSE. They're not IGCSEs, right? That's right. Yeah. My distant memory of languages is that you have four components, right? Reading, listening, writing and speaking. So do you want to talk us through maybe those four sections? Because all of these home educated children have to sit as well, right? Yes, that's correct. So they will yes. need an exam centre that offers the speaking and the reading, uh, the the listening section. That's correct. They have to see okay. all four components. What are the main skills you would say for each of those different sections? Obviously, they they are divided into the active and passive skills. So obviously, when you are listening or reading, that's the passive one. You just need to understand, um, and you need to answer questions based on what you the stimulus what you are you know listening or reading Mm -hmm. and the active components are the speaking and writing and they are very different skills often you find that it is possible to develop those particularly the reading skills not so much the listening ones more independently I'm just thinking about uh, home educated kids so uh, there are as we were saying before there are many free resources uh, nowadays um, on the internet and there are many free resources even offered by the exam boards and thinking about home educated kids it wouldn't be that hard to prepare for reading but the key thing is the the speaking and writing, and particularly the speaking. So obviously the skills needed for that uh, would be quite hard to develop on their own. Yeah, because I'm guessing that reading and listening, they're things that you can uh, get the textbook, you yes. can perhaps go on YouTube. Um, I think yeah. most of the examples, they actually have the the listening things on their website. They have some sample listening things. But even the listening wouldn't be the easiest, but you can get to, because the, you don't need to produce the work you just need to literally understand and 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 reply so that's something in terms of preparation that's something that could be done more independently Mm. but even even writing there would be well it wouldn't be the hardest skill to develop independently but speaking is something that mm, is always going to be the most challenging skill for them Because I'm guessing that reading and listening, 
is more easy to quantify in as much as and actually writing to a degree because they'll be able to check their answers and make sure to check it against mark schemes check it against written answers but speaking you need somebody to say you said that wrong or you said that right uh, that, that's right when we look at the speaking uh, first first of all and both i'm talking about both exam boards here so the, in the speaking if i i'm going to go more into detail about this particular one since it's, it's, the, it's the most challenging one so the speaking has a role play, a, it's, it's three tasks, a photo card and then a general conversation. Now, uh, first of all, the preparation for each of the tasks, it's very specific. Like what you need to produce in the general conversation with detail, uh, extending the sentences and you giving lots of opinions and justifications. Well, now that that is not done in the role play at all. Mm -hmm. So first we have the exam technique. That's a difficult one for this particular uh, component of the GCSE exam. That's because they're looking for very specific things in each of these little segments within speaking. That's right. In the role play, they're looking for um, an ability to communicate. Say that what we were talking about before, it's like they are going to a country where that language is spoken. Let's go to France or Spain and they need to rent a car or book a hotel. So that's the that that's the essence of the role play. And for that, you need you don't need to be developing any of your sentences. You just need to literally communicate the message so, so that's much more factual like you know i want two tickets to go to marseille second class tomorrow morning or something that's correct yeah. and therefore yeah. this is very different from what would be doing in the other two elements of the the mm. other two tasks of the speaking for instance the general conversation where students would need to use they would need to use more descriptive language for example um, is that for the photo card that you mentioned for both the photo card mm -hmm. and the general conversation, they would be uh, needing to use uh, different tenses and extending the sentences. And as I said, using descriptive language uh, just to show that they can actually manipulate the language and they have a good understanding of uh, grammar structures and vocabulary. They're very different um, for um, the for students, in my experience, even in schools, I can clearly see that that's quite challenging for them because they get this idea since they start studying languages that they always have to give opinions, justifications and being super descriptive. And all of a sudden, they have a two-minute two-minute uh, task, which is the role play, in which they have to manage to convey that message accurately and mm. with fewer words. So... Yeah, it's a completely different approach. Is that the same for AQA and Edexcel, that they both yes, have those? Exactly the same. Are there any parameters within which the role the role play will be held? So do you know, for example, it's going to be one of three options, or could it just be about anything? Yeah, you do have a preparation time. Mm -hmm. So you have access to the uh, role play and the photo card before you sit the exam. How long do you have before? Is it like a few weeks before or is it just 10 minutes oh, before? 10, 10 to 12 minutes, actually. Okay, right. You've got 10 to 12 minutes access to that. And that's exactly why it is so important for the student to understand the requirement of each task. Because mm. 10 to 12 minutes is very little time and it's got to be 
very focused time. And that's in exam conditions? Under exam conditions, yes. So this is just for them to make notes or put bullet points down, vocab, that kind of thing? That's right. Hmm, That's interesting. And what does the photo card, so I'm assuming that they hold up a photo card of some sort and then they ask them questions about it or are they meant to just talk about it? They would have five questions. So first they would be describing what they see in the photo. Hmm. And that's usually the easiest part because there are things we can do with students to prepare them that could apply to any photo. Like at the back, I can see on the left, I see this, this is what they are doing. And that would apply to pretty much any photo that, you know, the weather, it must be cold because they're wearing coats. That's the easiest one. And then they have access to two more questions that they would have prepared in that preparation time. But then they have also unexpected questions, which I believe is two in the AQA and one in Excel. And the general conversation, is that led by the whoever's doing the, the speaking section, the examiner? Is, is, could that just be on a topic like the environment or something like that? Yes, that's right. So there are different themes with different topics in each in each of the exam boards. And the student can choose one of the themes. So they have what they call the chosen theme. And that means they can prepare that in advance before the exam. I'm talking about they can choose their theme at the beginning of year 11. So they mm. usually choose for their mock exam, they know that's going to be their theme and it will be the first part of the conversation. So that's good because that's yeah. prepared in advance. And then the second the second part will be, again, uh, another topic that they don't really know about. What so, sort of themes do they choose from? What sort of themes are there on, uh, you know, on offer for this speaking section? So they have, as you were, as you mentioned, something like the environment. They have holidays, hobbies, my family, uh, work and um, school, education, that sort of topics. Mm. Yeah, and they would have seen most of them, not all of them, but most of them, in Key Stage Three, like the topics like holidays, hobbies, my family and friends. They just would just develop them further in in year ten and eleven. And then obviously some would be new, like the environment. And I'm guessing that they can choose one of the themes and that that's the one they first talk about. And then the rest of the general conversation will be the other themes that they didn't choose or some of the other themes they didn't choose. Or can it be about anything at that point? So they choose their their theme mm-hmm. and then the other one, yeah, it's any other that hasn't also been covered in the photo card. Okay, so, so what, any other of the themes... So it can't just be, they can't just pluck something out of the air, like let's talk about politics out of nowhere. It has to be one of the themes. There is a clear structure in which you cannot, you you literally see if you choose theme one, then this will be your photo card. And as a result, none of those two will be asked mm. in this part of the conversation. So it will be a different theme. It sounds like you have to be fairly structured in your planning and you have to sort of think quite carefully about the themes that you're most interested in or perhaps the theme that you find easiest. Yes, that's right. And that is precisely the challenge uh, home educated kids can can um, face because there is so many details they have to be aware of 
you can, as I was saying before, there is understanding and knowledge of the subject. So you can have a, an amazing subject knowledge. And then there is the exam understanding um, and requirements. So in this case, I guess that's one of the biggest challenges home educated children face when preparing for the speaking component of the GCSE exam. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, I think, where I'm, I'm a big fan of self-studying as much as you can when you home educate, because I think it gives your child a really high level of autonomy over their learning. And I think it teaches them really important skills that they can take on then to university of structuring their time, planning their workload, all that kind of thing. But I do think sometimes there is a point where you, you can get yourself a bit stuck when you're doing it on your own. And so it might be one of those where speaking is something you could just bring a tutor in once or twice before the exam, just to make sure you're vaguely on track. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think uh, the benefits of, of studying home education is that you have that flexibility and it allows you to have that independence to develop these skills more independently. But you don't really require having tutor for years it's more about what we were talking about now understanding which of the skills can be prepared more independently like i see no problem with uh, preparing reading with all the resources available and then having that extra support just before the exams i wouldn't say two or three times it's a bit more complex than that <laughs> but yes i i shared your idea that it's more about understanding which element will be, you know, in need of more support and which ones can be developed more independently? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the challenges when you home educate is um, is having a sense of where your child is at or your child having some sort of sense of what level they're working at. And I think that's possibly something that could be done for the reading to a degree, the listening and the writing, in fact, those three probably, but the speaking, it must be quite difficult to get some sort of confidence of the level you're working at if you if nobody in your house speaks French or Spanish and you're just sort of doing it on your own. Yeah, that's right. I think that's the main, I was thinking a lot about, about this this morning and that's exactly what any parent whose child is home educated and needs to think in terms of how to prepare them for a French or, well, I teach French, French or Spanish, but it could be German or any other language, how to prepare their kids for that. And that's understanding when and how to get that extra support. It mm. doesn't have to be continuous over the years. It has to be targeted to the key elements. I will give you an example. When we were saying maybe just, um, maybe we just, get the extra support for the, for, I don't know, for students for the speaking exam just a few weeks before the exam. But the reality is that that general conversation that we were talking about, for example, which is one of the key elements of the speaking, that's actually prepared over a much longer period of time, like over a year. So that's the key idea. The key idea is having a super clear understanding at the very beginning, once they start the course and say, right, so we are starting the equivalent of year 10 now. It's a two-year course. Uh, we're going to get that extra support sometimes for this general conversation because it's as simple as having a list of questions for your topic, preparing answers for that, and then every now and then having that sort of support from an external tutor, be ready and not leaving things to the last minute. I'm thinking as well, if you wanted to 
cut your costs or if you're on a kind of budget and yet your child really wanted to do one of these languages, you could actually do some sort of language swap perhaps with a, you know, a teenager from another country where you both do a Skype with each other or a Zoom call or whatever with each other. And then you sort of think, okay, let's talk around this particular theme, like the environment. That would be a free resource that you could use just to at least get some sort of exposure to speaking, though you're not going to get that feedback perhaps of how well you're doing in that structured marked kind of way you'd have somebody else who'd be on the other side of the phone to say oh no actually you use this or you use that you know you use that word instead yeah absolutely and that's clearly that difference between the language knowledge and then we have the exam technique knowledge so for in terms of developing your language skills a hundred percent that's one of the best things a child can do Absolutely. So that will give them the advantage of knowing that they actually understand the language. They actually uh, develop a passion for the language, uh, which is the main thing. And they actually use the language. So those are the key things. And then having, having all this in place, then it's a matter of right now. I also need to, uh, to prove all this in a standardized test. So you get those requirements in place and you just get on with it. But in terms of subject knowledge, that's a fantastic strategy to develop. I think that's very much it, isn't it? Because when it comes to exams, you have to quantify what you know, because they have to be able to mark it and give you a grade at the end of it. So what sort of tips do you have for learning exam technique and building up to an exam to make it just as smooth as possible or make you feel as confident as possible? Once you have the knowledge, once you have the, um, well, the subject knowledge, you, so you're learning all that theory, you need to practice, 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 and that's practice exam questions. I know it sounds very obvious, but that is the number one thing. You need to be exposed to, to the exam questions, to past papers. So when we look at these things, so when I prepare children about how to revise for exams, so for instance, you they usually, even if your knowledge of the language is amazing, the questions are completed in a very particular way. Like, let's put an example. Say that you are, you're doing a reading task and then you teach them how to be very careful with things such as distractors, this type of connectives that will make you believe that one is the correct answer, but then it's another one will be like, oh, I do love Spain. However, I prefer France. And kids usually will see love Spain. What country do they love the most? See, that's what I'm trying. These, these little things are the things that students need to be very aware of. They would look at that and say, oh, the answer is they love Spain. But actually, however, I prefer France. They sort of haven't noticed that. In my experience, unfortunately, let's not forget that they are, it's the pressure of the exam as well. So, and I'm guessing as well, they've 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 designed that question, haven't they, to, to root out the grades, because obviously they need to differentiate between different grades. So they they sort of have to do these slightly tricky questions that we always, I think children think are very unfair, but they are basically just designed to sort of make some differentiation between the grades. Well, yes, that's right. And also, and also that's the only or the best way or one of the best ways to understand how, how deep the knowledge is so that you don't, because that is choosing Spain over France in this particular case actually means that the understanding wasn't there because mm. it's the opposite, really. So 
they do need to understand that there are words that might change the meaning of what is being said. Yeah. For instance, however, and these little things are the ones that I know that they would struggle with unless they have some support from an experienced tutor. But then again, it's something that you can you can do before the exams. I think it's also something that if you take the mark scheme and you mark your own work, then you can see where you're making these mistakes and you can be like, oh, I see that they asked that tricky question and I got that wrong. So next time they're on the lookout for these kind of compound sentences where you've got almost like a negation after it that then changes your answer. Yes, that could happen as well. That obviously, again, it depends on the child. There would be uh, children that would have that ability to analyze and understand exactly why it is that their their answer was not correct. Mm. But um, I'm not convinced that every child would do that. Yeah, it's quite a lot more work, isn't it? That's required a huge amount of effort to sit Mm. and actually look into the absolutely tiny detail of why is this it sometimes it's just one word it's just such a tiny thing and it changes the whole thing so I suppose although it's doable it is possible indeed it would be quite challenging though yeah it's a lot of work you need a very motivated child for that don't you that's right and there are many who do it all I was trying to highlight is that that would be the area where should they want to have some support, that would be the one that I would recommend they get that support. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is so helpful when you're preparing for an exam to have somebody who knows what the examiner is looking for to just sort of say, you know, look out for this and keep an eye on that kind of thing. So what about general resources for exams? Are there any YouTube channels or online resources that you would recommend? Well, there are so many. Okay, so let's let's say one of the things that is extremely important for learning languages is vocabulary. We very often go into the need to understand grammar and exam technique, and we actually forget that in order to speak and write well and understand listening and reading, you need to know the vocabulary. Quizlet is one of those websites that are very popular nowadays for revising vocabulary. And because they have this system of like flashcards, so it's very visual and very helpful for remembering because you need to go back to the vocabulary over and over again. So once you know, it's like what they call space or interleaving practice. So you go to this these words that you get them right you know them but then in a month's time you might not remember you need to go back again quizlet is good because it has pre-loaded flashcards doesn't it but also you can create your own my daughter creates her own flashcards in quizlet quite often as revision and just the mere act of creating the cards in quizlet uh, tends to embed the learning that's absolutely right and then there's one that i wanted to um talk about today i was thinking about this one so you know the national center i have a note here for excellence for language pedagogy Have, have you heard of this the, particular... the National Centre for Language for Language Pedagogy. So uh, that's... no, I've never heard of that. That sounds a fascinating fairly... website. So the, the, it's 
it's an initiative from the Department for Education to improve the access that students, especially disadvantaged students, have to high quality resources. So this is an extremely interesting one for home educate for everybody, but for home educated children. We have now decided to use these resources in in my school um, with our year sevens in French. So mm. it's a, a pilot initiative now. I have to say they are absolutely amazing. What resources do they have? Do they have uh, resources for all of the four components that we were talking about? Reading, writing, speaking and listening. For now, yes, they do. But for now, they have only developed the key stage three. So we're not there yet. It's a fairly new thing, but we're getting there because the GCSE uh, will be changing in... I think first exams will be 2026, so mm -hmm. they will be changing and there is a much more emphasis on phonetics. So in other words, there's how um, they, they really want to make sure that the children are actually speaking the language. And for that, pronunciation has to be improved. Is the theory there that if you present a child who knows some French with a word that they don't know, they'll be able to pronounce it because they understand how French is pronounced? Is that the move? That's exactly right. That's exactly okay. what it is. Yeah, without that knowledge of in, in the phonetics, you can't really you can't really do that. And this is what we were especially in French. It is much easier in Spanish due to the nature of the language. But in French, unless you have that knowledge of the sounds and the spelling of each sound, and then that allows you to recognize and therefore pronounce properly whenever you come across a word. So that's why I thought I would mention this because it has resources for the whole year, for year seven, well, it's kids three at the moment, but they have French, Spanish, and German. And it's all free. What was the name of that website again? The National Centre for Language Pedagogy. C-E-L-P. So it's the National Centre for Excellence for Language Pedagogy. Yes. Ah, okay. That sounds very interesting. Any any free resource is a good resource in my book. <laughs> and they are not only free, but high quality. I can assure you that they are very good. That's great. And actually, it's interesting because uh, you mentioned Quizlet and I was going to recommend Memrise because yeah. Memrise has courses that are specifically based on on the exam board. So, for example, if you're doing Edexcel German, you can go on to Memrise and just do an Edexcel German course. They teach you all the vocab you need for Edexcel German. But now you mentioned about phonetics. That's probably the opposite of what they're wanting you to do ultimately, because that really is about memorizing words. And what what you're saying they're moving to is just the building blocks, creating a kind of building block approach to languages. We're moving to the real understanding, exactly, rather than memorization. So that's not to say that learning words is not something they need to do, because they do. That's the mm. only way you can actually express yourself in a foreign language. But with that understanding that, well, you need to know the sounds and you need to know how to say and pronounce any word, irrespective of whether you actually knew the word or not. That's quite difficult for dyslexic children, isn't it? Because that's something that they tend to struggle with in their own language. So yet again, it feels a little bit like the board is slanted away from children that maybe have special educational needs. One question I wanted to ask you, Natalia, is about immersion, because I know that when I studied French at GCSE, I loved it. I got an A. I thought, yay, I'm brilliant at French. And I went into A-level 
I sat down in the first class and everything was done in French. The teacher spoke everything in French. So everything, all the instructions about what we were doing were in French. And I completely bolted. I lasted three lessons and switched to ancient history. And I wonder how much uh, immersion in a language plays a part and how much home educators should be looking at maybe watching films in the language or listening to the radio in the language. Or is it is it not that important? Oh, no, it's extremely important. It really depends on um, the aims of and the goals of the child. Um, if they want to do GCSE and then forget about the language, because some some students do feel that it's good for them to have a language, um, a GCSE in a language, because it's important and they, they get that. Uh, if they don't want to continue with the language any any longer, immersion wouldn't be as important because yeah. said the GCSE isn't something that you need to... It is devised for you to actually uh, learn the vocabulary and the structures and then you can, you, you can actually pass that exam. But I am a massive fan of immersion. Of course I am. And again, linking it with my idea before that you should study a language because you want to become confident while talking it because you want to use it and then obviously passing an exam is also great but I'm passionate about languages and, and I taught myself Italian independently and I made myself almost fluent in Italian as an adult by watching films by listening to the Italian radio and obviously as a, as a, as a language teacher I knew what type of resources I should be looking at in terms of developing my grammar skills and uh, all the other language skills. Eventually, if you want to cross that line, it's like a fine line. You can know lots of stuff, but if you want to use the language, you need that immersion. And there's lots of ways to do it. What are the best ways to do it, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Watching, listening to music, watching films, uh, obviously, if you can go into the country, you yourself mentioned something really interesting, which is nowadays we can have video calls with people in any other country, you know, speaking to students their own age in, different, in the in the target language in the in the target language. That's one of the best things because you are forced to communicate. That's total immersion. It doesn't yeah. get much better than that. It's true. And and also being able to speak to somebody in a different language of the same age as you with the same kind of interests is so helpful because it really pushes your vocab on, doesn't it? Yes, that's important. So my last question is a bit of a weird question. What would you say is the most helpful phrase if people would only know one phrase in French and one phrase in Spanish that would help them out make them sound kind of local or I don't know, you know, deal with many situations. What would you say is the most helpful phrase in French and the most helpful one in Spanish? I put you on the spot here. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, for French, I'm going to say, mm, yeah, you did put me on this. Phone. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I did. There are so many. What type of sentence would you like? You remember before we came on the podcast and I said there was a French phrase that I used to use and that I heard waitresses use and waiters use a lot. And I've remembered what it was. It was something like Samash. It marches or it, it it's going. And, it, and they use it all the time. Like when you place an order, they're like, I got the sense it meant something like, yeah, that works or something. Samash. And and every, every time I heard it, I tried to use it in conversation because it was such a nice one. So what does that mean anyway? What am I saying when I say that? 
Yes, and March is like in March is as you said, literally, but it actually means yeah, that's okay. Mm. That's okay. Yeah. March. Every time one. I used it, yeah, every time I used it, I just felt like it was a step above a schoolgirl French, I suppose. So I, I liked using it because it just had that kind of easy, natural sound to it. So is there an equivalent in Spanish that you would sort of say, oh, yeah, no, that's good. That's going well or something. Uh, well, in Spanish, you could say something like, mm, no pasa nada. That's a good one. No pasa nada. So that's yeah. no something, nothing. Yeah, that's not exactly samarche. That's not exactly, <laughs> but it's it's just because we're thinking about something that a Spanish person would say, mm, mm. and it's connected to their own culture. Like you know, it means it's okay. Nothing's ha nothing happened. You know, it's like to ah, I see. That's that's very very much the essence of Spanish culture. Like, don't make a big deal out of this little thing. So it's like it's all right. Yeah. We're gonna be fine nothing's happened no pasa nada so no is it kind nada. of is it kind of spanish equivalent of chill chill out that's chill right. it's all good that's right that's right and we do say that a lot because it's yeah it's almost like part of the culture like it's all right yeah chill relax it's fine you know like that mm. moral mentality as well like mañana mañana we will do that yeah. tomorrow it's okay. Let's just take it easy. I yeah. spent some months in Spain this summer and there was very much a no pasa nada kind of vibe going on where I was as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a very general thing. Uh, yeah, it's nice. So thank you so much for joining me today. Where can we find you on the wonderful World Wide Web? Do you have a website? Do you have social media channels? Where can we find you, Natalia, if we wanted to? Yeah, I'm only on Facebook. So um... that's big enough. <laughs> it's big enough i yes i'm on facebook i do have a website but it's just that i have only started it recently so it's not really working just yet so i'm i'm on facebook and i have a group a free group for parents so it's called french and spanish gcse free advice for parents and that's a facebook group it's a Facebook group. It's obviously free to join. And the aim of the group is just to have lots of resources, all free, lots of support for um, parents and obviously students, but it's mainly it's mainly aimed at parents who want to support their, their children in their GCSE journey in the French and Spanish. That's so, super yeah. helpful. Thank you. We actually have a Facebook group for the podcast called Home Education Matters, the Facebook group. So if you mm -hmm. pop your link to your group in there, Natalia, and then people can find that because I think it's very much a kind of Gen X thing, Facebook, I think, compared to our children that probably don't ever go near Facebook. But for me, Facebook groups are such a vital way of keeping in touch. So that's really good that we can find you there. Well, for now, yeah, exactly. For now, we need to make sure that parents know, uh, you know, how they can support their children. So Facebook is the platform for that. But I also have a TikTok account. Ooh, you're, then you're Gen Z. You're not Gen X. You're Gen Z. That's very cool. What's your TikTok account? Nat London. Nat underscore London. Nice. Do you post funky reels in Spanish and French? I used to. <laughs> I just only created a new one now, so I only literally have like four or five videos, but I used to have over 700. What, on TikTok? Yeah. TikTok oh my is God. my favorite platform ever. 
and just go on Facebook because that's where parents are and that's how we can support them. Hmm. Uh, but TikTok is by far my preferred one. Yeah. So that must so be I- where you you sort of access the children more through TikTok, I'm guessing. The people who are actually sitting the exams, is that who you find on, on TikTok or are there parents as well on TikTok? No, not really. It's more for children. But to be honest, I literally do it because I love it. So <laughs> with no expectations to actually find anyone, I actually do love it. And then the good thing about TikTok is that I use that material to post, for instance, on Facebook. You can actually use the video. So it's a great platform because you can create very visual resources that you can then share in other platforms like Facebook or Instagram. Hence why I love it so much. I guess for, as well for your subject, because it is very audible, that that things like reels would work really well for you well i may have to get on tiktok just to have a look at your reels then because now i'm intrigued <laughs> i have very few now because as i said i started a new one since the other ones were a little bit not always what i were what i wanted to create if that mm. makes sense it was a bit of passion for languages and fun so now That's... i'm gonna be um, creating content that can actually help others well that sounds brilliant that sounds a very worthwhile thing to do. So thank you so much for joining me today, Natalia. It's been really lovely chatting to you. And everyone, you can find Natalia on her wonderful Facebook group and do check out our Facebook group, Home Education Matters, where she'll be putting a link up to her group so you can find it nice and easily. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me in. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.